Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Coaching You in the Word podcast. I hope everyone is doing well. We want to thank all of you that are studying with us and following along in the Word of God with us. And today we're going to bring you part 11 of understanding how to win in spiritual warfare. And I want to tell you, in my opinion, this is one of the uh, most critical lessons that we have taught in the series so far. So um, I want you to stay with us and I want you to hear the Word of God as we teach on understanding how to win in spiritual warfare. So with that, I want to again thank all of those of you that download our, and listen to our material. Um, I want to tell you, you can contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's Facebook messaging. So let's begin today with our lesson, part 11, on understanding how to win in spiritual warfare. Before we do that, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. Then let us apply it to our life so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. We yield, sanctify, and surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We ask you, Jesus, to minister and speak to the Holy Spirit. And we surrender our soul to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us to your people. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. In the wonderful name of Christ, our High Priest, Lord, and God. Amen. Now, I want to begin by making the statement, winning is not easy, especially when you attempt to win in the intellect. Winning by your natural ability is relegated to you being physically or mentally more imposing, better, stronger, and more having more ability than your opponent. Well, in the world of spiritual things, we are totally unqualified. The scripture portrays this when it states in Zechariah chapter 4 the following. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. As you can see, there was nothing in the natural world that was qualified to cause the mountains that affected the earth and were being made to look as obstacles that were so large that they became too big to be conquered. But those mountains were able to be brought down by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit would release an army, identified in the Scripture as Him being the Lord of hosts, that would be so powerful that the mountain would be removed. Now, where do you see the power and ability of a man 
in his own intellect, in his own physical strength in this equation? Well, those strengths are rendered as being subservient to the Spirit. In other words, they're of an irrelevant nature when it comes to winning in spiritual battles. Now, why would this be so? Well, Zacharias tells us. Zechariah tells us. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt not know the Lord of then thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Now who was the foundation of the building of which the Holy Spirit is laid? Well, that person is identified as Jesus Christ the high priest Lord and our man in the Godhead. He would be so obvious to those who saw and to those who see him that they would know that the Lord of hosts, the Holy Spirit, has been sent by him. Verse 10, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. What was the day of small things? I often hear that repeated. In small churches, uh, you know, don't despise small things. Well, the reality is, the small thing that is being referred to in, here in Zechariah 10 is the birth of the one who would develop the plan of God for the benefit of the people. Now, we rejoice and see that uh, what has been revealed by the Holy Spirit here. He comes in the power of the seven spirits of God with wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, reverence, and divine judgment. He possesses the power and the will to release the power to examine and direct the entire earth. Who are we talking about? Of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Now, how will he examine and direct the entire earth? Well, he's going to do so by the Spirit which brings down every obstacle that is placed in front of him for the ministry that Jesus Christ, our High Priest, our Lord and our God, is going to put into effect in the earth. So if we're to win in spiritual warfare, we must engage the winner. We must engage the one with the power. Who is he? Of course, Zechariah tells us who he is. Now, we want that to be strictly in Pentecostal circles, the Holy Spirit, because we've been taught that he is a standalone spirit, the third person in the Trinity, and all of that is true. But that's not what the Scripture is stating. Look at the word again. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, save the Lord of hosts. Do you see it? But by my, my, my Spirit, 
saith the Lord of the army of God. Now, who is this my that Zechariah is telling us about that is going to send my spirit? Zechariah tells us again, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Who is the headstone? He is the one named Grace. He is the one who will apply grace to the mountains that are hindering the work of the word. He is the head. He is the small thing that came forth to become the head. He is the man in the Godhead bodily. He is the one who was given the anointing of the seven spirits of God. He is the one who controls the anointing that flows to the earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick, upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered to me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. He is the head who is in control of how and when the anointing is to be released. At his command, the process of verse 9 is revealed. Look at verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know the Lord of hosts, has sent me unto you. He finishes the work through the release of the anointing. So if you're going to win in spiritual warfare, friend, you need to get into the anointing. Where does the anointing come from? It comes from the man in the Godhead. Why does it come from the man in the Godhead? Because he is the one who released it into the earth at his second ascension, when he was seated at the right hand of majesty. Why did he release it into the earth? Well, Jesus told us, so that he could command the Holy Spirit to speak word and commands to those at first with the apostles whom he had chosen, according to Acts chapter 1 and 2. But at the same time, Jesus has told us in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, what the works of the Holy Spirit would be. So, he is at the head, as the man in the Godhead, who controls the command and the release of the Holy Spirit. That command, you know, that is the solution to spiritual warfare. How do we know that? Because it will reprove you, it will convict you, it will convince you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It will, he, he will be the one released, the Holy Spirit will be the one released to lead you and guide you into truth. He will be the one who will give you the thing to say at the moment when you need to say it, and He will be the one who will show you things to come. It is of Him that Jesus said, you're not now able to bear. I've got more to tell you, more to show you, but you're not able to bear it. That was not able to be born until he was seated this, the, at the second ascension at the right hand of majesty, where he released 
the divine ability in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, to communicate directly with his people. The head controls the command and he controls the release. That release that solves spiritual warfare, it is the release of the Holy Spirit. Now notice this, the availability of the Spirit was released to man in Acts chapter 2. This was the first thing accomplished by Jesus Christ, our man in the Godhead, upon his second ascension to heaven where he was seated at the right hand of majesty. However, there is a release that we have seen in the Word of guidance, direction, instruction, and knowledge that is provided by the man in the Godhead for the benefit of those to whom are prepared for his communication. Now, I want you to gather that. For the benefit of those to whom are prepared for his communication. Now, I want you to watch this. Not everyone is prepared for his communication. Many more are prepared by their belief system for eternal life than are prepared for him to communicate the required information for them to live the life of an overcomer and to do what Jesus said we would do in John 14, which is greater works even than he did. Now, he promised that the commands that he would give the Holy Spirit for us would be so insightful that they would speak to the exact moment of which we were living and that they would show us the things that were coming so that we could not only know, but be prepared when the moment occurred. It's obvious that this is so because of what we encounter in our world today. We face turmoil and fear of where our culture and society may be headed, where it is apparently headed. We face a world that is spiraling in a direction from which there is no history in our country to look to for an understanding of what the outcome will be. In fact, the only history available that we can turn to is the history of Sodom and Gomorrah. But we move forward with little or no revelation of command from the man in the Godhead bodily because we choose not to explore life in the Spirit. We choose to attempt to meet an adversary that is much stronger, much bigger, and far better equipped to do battle in the spiritual world, and we attempt to fight him based on our intellect. It's no wonder people live in fear. We are not and have never been a match for our adversary. Someone said, yes, pastor, but I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit. Well, I guess I have to say that's a great big no. What you have is the work of the Holy Spirit that accomplishes the act and work of salvation. You don't possess the work of the Holy Spirit that produces the endowment of power so that you can be a witness unto him. Now, let's define that. When we get saved, we can be a witness concerning him or about him. We can tell our story and share the impact that he has had upon who we were with respect to what we have become. 
This reflects the work and the act that has transpired in you that has changed you. So you witness about and for him based upon what was done for you. This is a great witness in this regard that people can see the changes that his love produced in you by the Holy Spirit. Many will relate to your change and they may be making a choice to be changed also. This does not, however, reflect what Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, was speaking about in Acts chapter 1. He was speaking of a ministry that would reflect his own work. He was speaking of a ministry of communication that would release anointing into the moment for the revelation of confirmation of all of his actions. This is why he released the Holy Spirit only upon his final access into the throne room of God. Here he would develop the church through his ability to command and control the actions of men who were surrendered, sanctified, and yielded to be led by the Spirit. If we want to win in spiritual warfare, this understanding is vital. Without it, we're ill-equipped to hold up in the day of battle. Look at James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you see this term, these words, submit yourself therefore to God, does that indicate that you have any opportunity in the natural, physical, or intellect to resist the devil? No. Submit yourselves therefore to God. That means that your natural, physical ability, your strength, and your power is not adequate to allow you to resist the devil. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now be under obedience to God. That's what it's saying. Don't look to your own intellect, your own ability, your own strength. Be under obedience to God. Someone said, Pastor, I am. I'm saved. Well, no, my friend, you're saved by God, but you've not submitted yourself to him. You've been engaged by grace and mercy to be included in the family of God, but you've not relinquished your own intellect and personal strength. You still struggle with the old nature in many ways. Sin still buffets you. You still spend too much time at the cross having to revisit your desire to be forgiven of sin. You've not spent time at the tomb where your flesh has died, nor spent time with the resurrected Christ, the victoriously anointed one, who buried your sin and has now taken you in to the next realm. Now there comes a need for you to resist or oppose the devil. Now look at this. Now we've established earlier that you have no ability to do battle in yourself, and that's why you are consistently having to seek God for forgiveness and to seek God for all of the natural things that you seem to attend to. So I want to ask you a question. What foundation are you able to resist if all you have is your personal power and intellect? 
But the Bible says that if you submit yourself to Him, He will flee from you. What does that mean? It means that if you get out of the flesh and out of the intellect and into the Spirit of God. Now this Spirit of God is deeper than the Spirit of God that uh, operated in the work of saving your soul. It's deeper. The Bible says the adversary will flee from you. Yes, it does. How does he do it? He said for you to draw near to him. You must be able to approach him. And you must be able to be approachable by him. He desires to draw very near or come very close to you. What's that mean? He desires to exercise the Holy Spirit in his office of infilling so that he can command and control your life. When we reject the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what we're really doing is we're opening the door for the enemy to attack. He's sitting waiting as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, that's speaking to Christian people. Why would he be seeking and watching for whom he may devour as a roaring lion? Because they're trying to walk in the power of the intellect. They're trying to walk in the power of just being saved. Never drawing near to God. Never looking about the means and methods from which the man in the Godhead would operate to communicate, to control their lives, to command their lives, to give them insight, concepts, and ideas that would allow them not only to draw near to God, but to be able to live the life of an overcomer, resist the devil, and cause him to flee from you. Now, he desires to be very close to you. He desires to exercise the Holy Spirit in his office of infilling so that he can command and control your life. I hear people all the time talking about what God desires to do, and they're putting it into an intellectual concept. I'm not putting it into an intellectual concept. I'm telling you what the Word of God has said, that Jesus himself said the Holy Spirit would do. And then what the writer of the book of Acts said that after he was gone, he through the Holy Spirit gave commands unto the apostles whom he had chosen. He gave commands from the right hand of majesty. He communicated with them. Now I want you to notice what James said. James said, get out of the sin business. He said, cleanse yourself. Purge and purify yourself. What in, my, what in the world does that amount to? Well... That's the act that reflects sanctification. Get your hands clean from any and all sin that would open an avenue for you to be called into question by the adversary. Do not leave the door or the window ajar by operating in sin. Then he speaks concerning the double-minded. Well, who in the world is that? This is the person who attempts to deal with or live in sin while they are attempting to deal with life under the promises 
that are provided by the Savior. This person has believed, but because of remaining in the process of being saved, they vacillate with life, and therefore they deal regularly with the attacks of the devil that come against them. Now, how do we win in such cases? Now, watch this now. Do we wait it out and hope for better days? Do we take the wounds that come from these attacks, the mental anguish, the hardship, and try to hold on and hope for the healing that may come at some point? Or do we attempt to wean ourselves off sin in hopes that we can grow out of sin just as we grow out of our clothes as we aged? So are we waiting in hope for a better day? Are we just living with the wounds, holding on, hoping for healing? Are we trying to let time wean us off just under the same condition that we were weaned off of nothing but milk? We were changing clothes because we got older and bigger. James 4 and 10 said, now watch this, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Well, what's that mean? Place yourself in a subservient position in the sight of the Lord. Go to prayer. Surrender your tongue to him and allow the spirit of truth that brings the mountains in your life to resemble a plane to have control. Did you hear that? Surrender yourself to the one who can bring the mountain. What's the mountain in your life, friend? What is the mountain? Is it addiction? Is it apprehension? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it bad doctrine? Is it poor teaching? What is, what is the mountain in your life? Is it a husband or a wife who doesn't do right? Is it children? Is it your job? What is the mountain in your life? Now, I want to ask you a question. Has being saved allowed the mountain in your life to come to a plane? Often, being saved causes the mountains in your life to even get worse. But I want to tell you today that in the Holy Spirit, the mountains in your life have an answer. They have an answer, and that answer is the, Holy, the infilling of the Holy Spirit that the man in the Godhead communicates directly to you concerning the specifics of the moment in which you stand that will allow you to remain in perfect peace because your mind, your soul, is surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want to win in spiritual warfare, if you're tired of the spiritual Battle where the adversary consistently comes in and attacks you, attacks you mentally, mostly physically. If you're tired of that, if you've had enough, then go to the man who's Zerubbabel, who, is, who was identified by Zechariah as being Zerubbabel, who said, not going to be done by your physical self, by might or by power, by your intellect. It's going to be done by my spirit. 
My spirit, according to what Jesus taught, is going to lead you and guide you into the truth, into things that are to come, and into the word in which you need in the moment it needs to be spoken. When you do, the man in the Godhead bodily will begin to express himself. He will be very clear and he will be very specific to the moment in which your needs must be, lift, be, be met. He'll lift you into a new dimension in him. Now what? Well, now I want you to get this because I'm about to the end of today's teaching. You become a witness unto him. What does that mean? He reproduces himself in you. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Here's what this means. He manufactures you to be able to operate in his spirit. This spirit, when created in you as a witness unto him, endues you with power unto good works. What does that mean? Now watch. He superimposes himself in time, place, and order as if he has laid himself over you. From here, he is able to work through you to do the works that he deemed as greater works. Now, why did he address this as such in John 14? Because until he was seated at the right hand of majesty and until he released the Holy Spirit into the earth for the infilling of men, there could be no sustained works by men in the Spirit. There would be times and moments where the Holy Spirit would rest upon a person so that a need in their life or in the people of God's lives could be accomplished. But after Pentecost, this became a present and active relationship in the Spirit by all of those who were filled. Now watch this. Jesus Christ, the high priest and Lord, indicated this was uh, this very principle when he shared what was coming in Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. These men and women were to be witnesses who would have him superimposed upon their lives that would take them into regions of the world that were both known and unknown at the time of this statement. The first three regions were known, but how would these people go to the othermost parts of the earth? They would receive the Holy Spirit who would superimpose the man in the Godhead bodily as an image of imprint or imprint upon their inner man and manifest through their soul. They would both record this event and share this event with any and all to whom they were sent. The result would be a church that was operated by the man in the Godhead bodily. He would command people that were to and fro in the earth with a required moment-by-moment -moment instructions that would witness in time, place, and order concerning the precise thoughts of what the man in the Godhead required from his people or required to say to his people. The anointing from his, his being in us, on us, and upon us would be confirmed with signs, wonders, and miracles. The word concerning greater works would occur because he was manifesting himself to those he loved. Now, do you really want to win in spiritual warfare? Well, stop fighting by being foolish with your ability. Stop fighting by doing foolish things in the flesh. I heard someone say that they get up daily and put on the whole armor of God piece by piece. Wow, what an unnecessary intellectual act. 
Get up and welcome the Holy Spirit into your day. Get up and speak from your mouth the mysteries of God, according to 1 Corinthians 14. Get up and welcome the presence of Jesus Christ, my man in the Godhead, to speak and reveal the things which God has prepared for those who love him and openly and free, who love him and do so openly and freely. Get up and expect to pray in the Spirit. Get up and expect that as you pray the mysteries of God that you are speaking are both for the meeting of your needs and for your answers from God. Get up and listen to receive the mysteries revealed to you by His Spirit so that the things prepared for you, according to 1 Corinthians 2, can be released as the promises of God that are yea and amen in Him. Now, where is He? Well, He's superimposed upon you as if you and He are both simultaneously visible. So for God to release grace to you, Jesus, the man in the Godhead, is also releasing grace from you. This simultaneous release manifests as reproof, leading, guiding, peace, joy, the spirit of truth, the glory of the man in the Godhead, the words required at the moment, and the understanding of things to come. These are the dynamics associated with our man in the Godhead. They're also the reason and purpose for the necessity of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want to win and not wait and not be wounded or not have to be weaned off of the rudiments of this world, then my suggestion to you is that you find Jesus Christ as your man in the Godhead. From here, he will manufacture your life with every promise that is in him. He will do so by filling you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that will lead you from the spirit of truth that is his own spirit. Father, we praise you for the word of God today. Bless every hearer. May your truth arise and every intellect, every power and every strength of our own be a liar. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. Amen and amen. Find him, my friends. Find him as high priest, Lord and God. And you'll find the answers to life. God bless you until we speak again.